As we continue to uh, connect with all of the necessary medical professionals here in New York City, uh, Tara and I scheduled some early December appointments with a nearby ophthalmologist for a yearly eye exam. And as I reveal uh, yet another chamber of the sprawling compound of my eccentricity, I will, uh, <laughs> I will tell you that there is no moment with any medical professional that stresses me out more profoundly, and this is the truth, that stresses me out more profoundly than when the eye doctor invites me into that maddening process of choosing which option is clear. <laughs> and it's normally accompanied by a very soothing voice. Did you notice that? And that, that just makes it all the worse for me because that soothing voice stands in direct juxtaposition to the angst that I'm feeling in that moment. And it normally goes something like this. Eric, which option is clear? Here's one, here's two, here's one, here's two, here's two, here's one. And you know how it goes. Normally the first couple are easy. Well, I'm going to choose two, Doc, because one is completely blurry. But then after that, the differences between the option, the options are so minute. And that's when I begin hearing that voice in my head saying something like this, you better make the right choice, man, or you're going to have a headache for the rest of your life. I put so much pressure on myself in that moment. And no joke, early in December in my appointment, I actually asked the doctor go, to go back to the previous two options because I was convinced I'd made the wrong choice. And she just chuckled as though she had dealt with this kind of tendency before. And she said, it's all right, we'll take as much time with this as you need because the truth of the matter is when it comes to your vision, and this is exactly how she put it, when it comes to your vision, you're the only one who knows what your eyes are seeing. You're the only one who knows what your eyes are seeing. The question of what our eyes see figures prominently, doesn't it, in our physical existence and perhaps even in what we might call our spiritual sanctification, our spiritual growth. Our physical vision impacts everything from our driving to our reading. But our spiritual vision impacts everything from our decision-making to our sense of purpose, our sense of identity. There's a quote, it's often attributed to Helen Keller. Don't know if she really said this or not or wrote this, but it's a great quote. And the quote is this, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight, but no vision. In this morning's scripture from the Gospel of Luke, we find Mary and Joseph bringing the infant Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem. And they are there in the temple for two very specific reasons. First, they are there to present the infant Jesus to God, dedicating him to the purposes of God, which is comparable to what transpires in the life of the church when we celebrate infant baptism. It is a presentation of sorts, a naming in grace. But Mary and Joseph are also there to participate in the Jewish ritual of purification following childbirth. 
And if you're wondering where that ritual comes from, it has its origins in Levitical law. In fact, at some point this afternoon, if you want to examine the origin, visit the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament. Go to the 12th chapter and read verses 3 through 8. You will understand exactly where this ritual of purification comes from and what it entails. And you might be inspired to ask, why would there be a ritual for purification following childbirth? Why would that be something necessary in the Jewish uh, community of faith? And the best answer that I have to give to that is this. In the Jewish theology of the human body, as reflected in the Old Testament, childbirth, while miraculous, also represents a violent biological trauma that unsettles or disrupts the peace and the integrity and the wholeness of a body and a family. And so as I have come to understand it, the Jewish ritual of purification was an act of worship designed to reflect the healing, the restoration that the entire family was experiencing after the process of childbirth. Think of it that way. And during this experience in the Jerusalem temple, we meet two figures whose spiritual vision, I believe, is noteworthy. Their names are Anna and Simeon. And about Simeon, we're told that he is a righteous man of God upon whom the Holy Spirit rested. And we're also told that Simeon, at some point in his life, experienced a mystical revelation, and that revelation brought to him the truth that he would not die until he saw God's Messiah. And so he lived with the expectancy of that. He lived with that anticipatory spirit. It fueled his life. Anna, we are told, was a prophet. That's important because that designation prophet was given to only a handful of women in the entire Bible. Anna was a prophet, a fourth teller of God's truth. We're also told about Anna that she was an octogenarian and a widow, and according to Luke, she never left the temple, which I think is the gospel writer's way of communicating to us that Anna devoted her life to prayer and the worship of God. It's what she did, it's who she was. And the fact that both Anna and Simeon are there at the temple may be a reflection of their wholehearted commitment to the ministry of the faith community, the temple. The implication is that they never missed the presentation of a newborn child to God. They never missed such a thing. And they were present when Jesus was presented in that context. And what strikes me most about Simeon and Anna is what they choose to see with their spiritual eyes. What they choose to see. Think about that. Simeon holds the infant Jesus in his arms, looks into the face of this newborn child, and sees the redemptive initiative of God on behalf of the world. And likewise, Anna, when she comes into the presence of the newborn Christ, she sees in him the beginning of God's salvation. And did you hear Simeon's proclamation in the temple? His effort to explain what is transpiring? His words are important. This is what Simeon says in the temple that day. My eyes have seen God's salvation. My eyes have seen God's salvation. Prepared in the presence of all people. 
And I don't want you to miss the significance of that proclamation because there would have been plenty of people, I'm sure, who would have seen in this moment nothing more than a peasant family going through the motions of Jewish Levitical law. But Simeon and Anna, with their spiritual eyes, dare to see nothing less than the salvific activity of God in this common ritual. My eyes have seen God's salvation. The question of what our eyes can see is probably not a bad question to explore as we move from one calendar year to the next calendar year. Maybe it's a mile marker that gives us the opportunity to ponder such questions a day like today. Do we see, like Simeon and Anna, the things of God in our routines and in our rituals and our everyday processes and circumstances? Do we? Or do we see only what the surface level of things reveals en route to the next set of circumstances? And maybe a more practical question, what might we do as followers of Jesus, what might we do to sharpen our spiritual vision so that our eyes might be conditioned to see the things of God? What might we do? Well, it's hardly a formula, and you know that, if you've been living this life of faith for a long period of time, but maybe, maybe Simeon and Anna offer to us some clues. For example, maybe the fact that Simeon and Anna are there at the temple so frequently serves as a reminder to us that connection and commitment to the ministry, the faith community, the temple, the church, is absolutely essential in the shaping and sharpening of our spiritual vision. And please, don't reduce that to some sort of institutional pressure on the urgency of church attendance. I don't mean it that way. Oh, you better come to church or else. That's not what I mean. But here's my experience, and see if my experience resonates with you and your experience. Every once in a while, I pause in my vocational introspection and I ask myself, would I still be a part of the worship life of the church if I didn't have to be? And the reason that's such an important question for me is that I have been, vocationally speaking, a minister of the gospel for my entire adult life. Meaning that since I was 22 years of age, there's been a job description in my life that essentially mandates that I am here. And so it's good for me every once in a while to ask that question. If I didn't have that kind of job description that mandated my presence, would I still be inclined to get up on a Sunday morning, come to a church like Christ Church, and experience this life of worship? And what keeps me answering yes to that question over and over and over again is the recognition of this reality. I do not see God as clearly. And I do not see myself as clearly. And I certainly do not see the world and its people as clearly when I am not regularly engaged in the countercultural narrative that the church proclaims in its worship life. And that's not to say that the church always gets it right in its narrative, because you know as well as I do that throughout its history, sometimes the church has gotten it woefully, woefully wrong. But the church tells a story, doesn't it? Through its scripture and its music 
and its ministry. The church tells a story about who God is and who we are in relationship with God. And it's our engagement with that story that sharpens our spiritual vision, that enables our spiritual eyes to see things that, it, that they would not see otherwise. Maybe that's part of why Simeon and Anna are always hanging around the temple. Maybe they know that in their complicated world, they needed to be seeing the things of God and their life in the temple helped them in that regard. But then beyond connection and commitment to the life of the faith community, the temple, the church, beyond that, maybe Simeon and Anna also remind us that seeing the things of God will require nothing less than a daily decision on our part, and more specifically, a daily decision to believe that the glory of God actually has the wherewithal to show up in our routines, in our rituals, in our everyday processes and circumstances. Maybe it takes believing that before we can see the things of God. You know that phrase that you have probably used frequently, seeing is believing. Well, maybe visionary faith reverses that. Maybe with visionary faith, a faith that sees things differently, it goes like this, believing is seeing that maybe believing that there are these intersections, these mystical intersections between the eternal and the everyday, maybe that's part of what shapes our spiritual eyes to see the things of God that others might be inclined to overlook. Here's what I'm describing. It was about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, I was a part of a day-long spiritual retreat. And at that retreat, I sat next to a man who had spent the last 15 years working as a hospice care nurse. And as we had lunch that day, he graciously shared with me a little bit about his work and it inspired me to ask a question that I've always wanted to ask a hospice care nurse. And that question was this, how do you avoid fixating on death? In your work, how do you avoid fixating on death when the nearness of death is such an important part of what you do? And his response to my question was as tender as it was revelatory. He started this way. Well, I have a number of atheist friends and colleagues, and they'd have to come up with their own response to that question. I, I would not attempt to answer for them. But he said, as somebody who believes in Jesus, this is the only response that I can offer. Throughout each day, he said, I whispered these short, informal prayers. And the prayers are essentially an, an outcry to the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit to take hold of that day's tears and that day's hard conversations and to transform them into something like a communion between desperate souls and a deep-hearted God. And I don't know whether this will make sense to you, he said to me that day. I don't know whether you will understand what I'm saying. But those whispered prayers that I cry out every day, those whispered prayers represent, I guess, a choice. And it's a personal choice, choice that I have to make every single day, sometimes more than once a day. What's the choice, I asked him. He said, it's a choice to see the life of Jesus 
where other people are inclined to see only the sadness of death. And it takes time to develop that ability. That's why so many, he said, why so many hospice care nurses don't last long in the work. They have to do something else. But I've lasted this long because of those whispered prayers and the choice that they represent. The choice to see the life of Jesus where other people can only see the sadness of death. What do we choose to see with our eyes? That's an important spiritual question, isn't it? As one year becomes another year. What do we choose to see with our eyes? Does our vision stop at death or will we choose to see life? Does our vision stop at hopelessness when we read about the death that is occurring in such profound fashion in Gaza? Or will we choose to see even the circumstances in the Middle East as an opportunity to commit ourselves afresh to peace with justice in our families, in our workplace, in our church, in our city? Does our vision stop with hatred or contempt or do we choose to see even our hardest relationships as opportunities to double down on the relentless love of Jesus Christ? What do our eyes see? I think this morning these two figures Simeon and Anna remind us of the urgency of that question, but maybe more importantly, they also remind us of the potential to condition our spiritual eyes in such a way that our eyes are better prepared to see the redemptive activity of God. And so, perhaps I will conclude by borrowing the methodology of a good ophthalmologist. Here's one. Here's two, here's one, here's two, here's death, here's life, here's hatred and resentment, here is the way of Jesus. Which is clearer in your vision? What do your eyes see? In the name of the one who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.